Welcome to Connect with Success with Dr. Lynette Scatiswatilla, where we help connect you with knowledge. Our mission is to lead you to a new and exciting way of understanding, responding to, and helping all those with autism. We hope to expand your thinking about how to best serve these amazing people and to support you in your daily struggles and celebrations. Welcome, everyone, to the sixth episode of Connect with Success, a podcast built around the success approach and the person who coined it, Dr. Lynette Scottiswatilla. In the fifth episode, we introduced a synthesis of episodes one through four, where we learned about a few of the theories of the success approach. So today, we'll pick up right where we left off um, with yet another key concept that will help parents and professionals to understand both autism and the success approach. Today's topic will bring us down to the basics as we learn about how children learn. So, Dr. Lynette, what term are we going to learn about today? Today, the very important term I want to share with everybody is the word schema. And what is schema? Schema comes from cognitive development. And it's basically a mental representation or a mental framework for remembering and understanding information about objects or events. So it's sort of like a template. It's sort of like a mental representation for a set of events. So we have schemas for many things. Um, If I say uh, grocery shopping, um, the listener will have an idea of what's involved with that. They have a schema for how they get their cart. They go up and down the aisles. They select the items they want. They walk through the checkout, purchase their items, put them in their car, go home, and basically put them away and then use them. So a very complex example of schema, but it is a mental representation of all that. So this is another way of processing. This is um, association almost. Yes, and it's different. I'm glad you said the word processing because it's different than sensory integration processing, and here's why. As you'll remember, in sensory processing content, we learned that processing happens subcortically, sort of at that brainstem level, where things are very automatic, we're not thinking at all. But in this kind of process, and schema development, um, which comes from the theory of what we call information processing, it is completely cerebral up in the cortex. It's a cognitive function, and that's why that part of the brain is involved. So this imprinting of um, happenings around you and then how you feel about it. Mm-hmm. Especially what we're hitting today. Great. Well, it's going to be a great episode. Hang in there, folks. We're going to jump right into our message. All right. Welcome back, everyone. And this is going to be a great episode uh, as we talk about information processing or forming schemas around events that are happening in our lives. So, Um, Do all kids develop the schema? Yeah, all kids do develop schema. Um, And that's because schemas are actually formed through experiences that get sort of encoded or understood and processed. So any experience becomes a schema. So it's kind of important for us to know that because sometimes as adults, we kind of take for granted um, that learning happens naturally, but it doesn't for some kids. And some of the kids that struggle the most with learning are kids with autism. Maddie and I used to love to go to see Tetelestai. Mm. And, uh, and she she would still want to go if it wasn't for the COVID era at this point in time. She just loves to go to see it. But one of the things that really stuck out to her was they would bring the children up to the stage that were in the audience. I think if they're like 10 or below <clears throat> and explain to them how the crucifixion scene worked. 
so that they wouldn't, mm. you know, have a negative impression or wouldn't be scared. Mm-hmm. So I kind of think about this, like trying to set the stage for for children who are trying to understand mm-hmm. um, what's going on around them at that moment. Mm-hmm. And uh, those very responsible theatrical folks that run to Telestai understand how kids process information. And that's evident by their proactive, intentional description of what they were about to see. But let's just kind of entertain for a moment what would happen if they didn't. Mm -hmm. Those schemas, those associations for something as intense as the crucifixion scene would be potentially very scary for the viewer, for these children. Um, But if you do what they did, which is bring information to the child's brain, instead of just the experience being what brings information to the child's brain, then you're preparing them. And what a powerful tool for especially teachers and parents of kids with autism, if they could just be sort of ahead of the game and help the child be ready to take and make sense of what they're about to see or learn, the world would be a much better place for kids who are trying to learn who happen to be on the autism spectrum. Right. So this whole thing is natural for everyone. What does it look like for children who are on the spectrum? Well, I think to understand that, we should probably talk a little bit about how it looks for kids who aren't. Um, And so if you think back to our early uh, theorist, you know, Piaget, um, understanding a lot about assimilation, accommodation, words that teachers and psychologists know, um, what happens is the, the brain gets exposed to a concept And if very, very young in development, that concept is something like um, a cup, then the child will associate the cup with what's in the cup, which makes sense. And so um, we also know through accommodation and assimilation that when information is had, like cup and what's in it, um, things can be expanded upon. So schemas can change. So one day, as opposed to a cup, it might be a bottle. Um, or it might be a tumbler cup, or it might be a wine glass. So all these different things that are uh, vessels to carry liquid in or to drink liquid from um, have sort of different names, but they all kind of serve the same function. So our brains sort of assimilate and take in new information um, to build on what we originally found or what we originally came upon. And um, that process is very normal, very spontaneous, um, and it's kind of semantic. It's sort of sequential and semantic, meaning that it's very much has to do with words. Mm-hmm. And so um, I always use this example, and people who take my class um, really appreciate this example because I think it makes a lot of sense. Um, if a child who is three or four um, first comes to understand the concept of trunk um, in the context of an elephant... And then someday grandma comes and takes her luggage trunk out of the car trunk and stays Mm -hmm. for a while. That word has new meaning. And so um, our children who don't have autism, who are, we would say, neurotypical, sort of understand in context that although the word is the same, it's still trunk, grandma's talking about something that has nothing to do with elephants. Instead (laughs) Um, of looking for the elephant in the room. Yes. (laughs) <laughs> you actually have a sound effect for that. Don't That's you? right. <laughs> I actually want to do that over mine, but um, but I feel like if we understand that, and as parents of kids who don't have autism, we 
can understand the natural or automaticity, we would say, the automatic nature of learning. It just happens in context. Um, and we take that for granted. So when we are exposing children with autism to new terms and ideas, we have to understand that they're going to kind of grab on to the first way they learn or hear something um, because they don't have that flexibility mm -hmm. of thought. So to kind of get back to your question, how do children with autism form schemas or how are they maybe differently forming schemas? It has to do with how they encode memory. So let's talk a little bit about memory um, and storage because it's a brain function. Again, we're not in the brainstem. We're done with sensory integration, that automatic process. We're now in the thinking centers of the brain in the cortex and the executive functions way up high in the cerebral cortex. Um, and this memory process is... Um, very distinct. There's certain memories that we would say are episodic, um, and so that information is stored about events that are specific to an episode. Like if I say honeymoon, there's episode of a honeymoon that a married person will understand and relate to. Um, and then there's more semantic memory, which are little schemas about little events or little words or little concepts. Um, so I might say the word ring, and um, ring sort of has to do with the honeymoon in most situations. Um, but we also have lots of mini understandings of the word ring, different schemas. Um, ring around the collar, um, wedding ring, ring of fire, all sorts of ring, ringing on the phone, ringing in the ears. So we don't over-associate the word with an episode, we understand the word has different meanings. Again, like the grandma, the trunk, and the elephant yeah, idea. Yeah. I, I just go back to when I graduated uh, last March with my doctoral degree, and people were sending me cards, and it said Dr. Smith on there. Mm -hmm. And uh, Finn had looked at the cards and was looking, and was like, Dr.? I was like, yeah, I just received my, you know, my, my doctoral degree. And he goes, oh, doctor. You know, I've been having this pain in my back. <laughs> and I said, no, 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 not that kind of doctor, son. I'm a, I'm a doctor of education, not of yeah. the body. Yeah. And it was th that's how information processing. He assimilated the fact that doctor that's must right. be medical professional. That's right. That's right. It's the same thing that a toddler will understand beautifully the concept of doggy. And then they go to the farm park and they see a sheep and they say dog. Mm hmm and you might say, well, it reminds you of a doggy, but we call it a sheep. So this, and that, that's all it takes for kids that are neurotypical. They just need to hear that new word, and they can assimilate what they've already understood in the past. It's like their, your, your drop-down box of things that have four legs and could be white <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> um, expands. And so um, that's the beauty of natural, normal learning. Kids with autism don't have that automaticity to their learning, and it's because of their neurology. It is because of how the brain is wired. And that is why it is critical for every teacher out there, especially those of who are teaching children with special needs and autism specifically, to understand that kids with autism really function more from episodic memory. Mm -hmm. They're going to memorize things as a whole and not really get the detail parts of it per se. Yeah, there's this whole new push in um, education. I don't know how new, new it is, but it's definitely seen a resurgence because of COVID mm -hmm. is this whole idea of relatable learning. So mm -hmm. taking learning and relating it to practice mm -hmm. um, to make it more meaningful 
for them, something that they can then assimilate to, to that learning later on. This is a little bit like the information processing. It is. And um, I think what the new theory you're talking about um, nicely addresses that we didn't really hit very hard is interest leads to uh, attention and application mm-hmm. of the thinker. And so <laughs> if you like what you're thinking about and learning about, it stands to reason you're going to take in more about it. But we don't always have that luxury in the early stages of learning. You have to kind of learn what you have to learn in first grade to get to second grade and second grade to get to, get to third grade. So this... Um, progression just loads more and more and more concepts on us. And when we struggle with the basic concepts, the more sophisticated ones that come in second, third, and boy, third and fourth grade, when things become really abstract, those are hard concepts to build when you have a wiki foundation. Mm -hmm. We don't want that um, foundation to be um, unsettled or, or holy, as we say. We want to fill it and make it solid. And the only way to do that for kids with autism is to make sure that they have all of those assimilations and accommodations happening as well as possible. Um, But that's where expert teaching comes in. You cannot teach a child with autism the same way you teach a child who does not have autism. It just doesn't work. And so as a parent who has a child on the spectrum, one of the things, uh, the best ways is to pre-plan the trip. So if Mm -hmm. you're going to go to a concert and, and then tell them, Here's what to expect when you see. You're going to see lighting. You're going to see. Mm-hmm. You're going to hear music. There's going to be some loud sounds you might not understand. Um, are there any of the strategies that we can we can offer to? Uh, help prep those parents that with information processing for their child. We can. It's a lot of work. In fact, I was just talking to a young couple that has a four-year-old who came in to get some ideas because they're, the child's struggling behaviorally. And here's why. Schemas, when they aren't actualized, like when they're just in the kid's head and then life evolves in a way that doesn't match that schema, doesn't match what that child has in their head, it causes them to become upset. So our kids on the spectrum have a behavioral response to a mismatch in their schema, which makes life very difficult for parents and families who live with children with autism because the smallest thing can set them off. And I want to use a very important example that I often use in my class. And in my class, it's, it's very deep and rich with more theory and more understanding and more terms and a lot more um, you know, hands-on application. Um, but in a podcast, it's kind of nice to talk about the highlighted examples. And one I always talk about is birthday parties. Mm-hmm. So most two- and three-year-olds will go to a birthday party And they'll have a good time. They'll probably be sensory overload because that's just normal for everybody. But there's a lot to take in and a lot to enjoy. Um, And they'll understand coming away from that event that it had to do with a birthday cake and a little boy or girl who was celebrating probably presents, um, maybe some games, that sort of thing. Um, And maybe there was a theme. Let's just say it was Ninja Turtles. So if that's the normal experience, then we can say that child came away really understanding birthdays. They kind of had a, participated in singing and maybe having a piece of cake and all that. But when a child with autism goes to that same birthday party, they may not be taking in the same kind of information. They might have gone away with just Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Mm-hmm. And so when that episode is done and it's stored in episodic memory and another birthday party comes up three months from then, the child goes to that party remembering Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. But if the theme is frozen and there's not a turtle in sight, Mm -hmm. the child doesn't perceive that as a birthday party because there's like this 
steel trap memory about Ninja Turtles. And so that's what we call a gestalt learning style. It's, it's, it's sort of children process an episodic memory. These, these episodes, literally the whole episode kind of gets memorized versus the pieces, parts that make it a birthday party, mm-hmm. the cake, the presents, that sort of thing. And so um, that's an awful surprise to a parent who doesn't know that their child is a gestalt learner. Mm-hmm. And gestalt meaning whole. They kind of memorize the whole, m- minus the tiny pieces of the whole. And um, they're going into this birthday party with the Frozen theme, and their kid is not even stepping over the threshold of the door, and no one can understand why. Or they do, but they start to melt down or start screaming about turtles or something. And so people are like, what is going on? There's no turtles here. I don't see turtles. And then start to think, did he get bit by a turtle? Was it by a fish tank? Like, like you start to just wonder. You kind of you know, spiral yourself into mm-hmm. what is going on, not knowing that he's having a memory, an episodic memory event of that first birthday party two and a half months ago that you don't even remember the theme from. Mm-hmm. There's a disconnect that's happening because in their mind it should be in place. Yes. Yeah. And it is neurologically wired that way. These children are not choosing this. They're not rolling out of bed at eight o'clock in the morning saying, today at this birthday party, I'm going to make a scene and scream about turtles. It's just, they're just not that intentional. Mm -hmm. If they were that intentional and deliberate, they wouldn't have autism. You know, and I I think about how triggering this is in schools. Mm -hmm. You know, if you're having events like um, fire drills or, Mm -hmm. you know, tornado drills or whatever the case may be, rapid Mm -hmm. dismissal or you know, uh, active shooter, and and that really just could rock their world because they're they're associating something negative then with that event if it's not prepped ahead of time. Yeah, one of the blessings that we enjoy here at Integrations Treatment Center is is being on a campus where some of that is just less likely to happen, just no matter how you slice it, not a public ed domain. And, you know, it is what it is. Wherever your child is, you have to make the most of it. But a lot of our families say they appreciate that sort of um, isolated sort of safety net as they call it. Um, but it, nonetheless, we still practice with our children because that's responsible. Right. And there may be a tornado that affects everybody. You know, it doesn't matter where you are. If it's, come through your, if it's coming through your area, it's coming through your area. So we do have to have some of these experiences and try to give them a proactive plan to stay calm and follow so that they can get through whatever is expected of them. Because it is out of the ordinary. It doesn't match their schema for what school's all about. Right. And I, and I hear administrators now and teachers now that when they do have these types of drills that are scheduled, we'll tell the student, here's what you're going to hear, here's mm-hmm. what you're going to do, here's mm-hmm. what we're going to see mm-hmm. as we're going through this drill, just to kind of prep them a little bit. But it's still a little jarring for yeah. them. Yeah. Yep. And that jarring is sort of a uh, natural response for everybody. Everyone's kind of hyped a little bit, but children with autism are excessively hyped and usually you know, kind of water over the dam. Like it's just the flooding of the gates, I should say, um, because you can't pull them back if they're that surprised because they are in what we learned in the readiness lecture. They're in fight, flight, or freeze. Mm -hmm. And um, those are very autonomic, meaning automatic. The autonomic nervous system kicks in for that fight, flight, freeze. And there's this reptilian sort of response where they, they can't cope. Because they are not able to think. They're not able to use their cortex. Whereas everyone else is problem solving. They're still hyped, but they're able to engage that cortex. And our kids just are cut off from it, Mm -hmm. literally. Wow. 
So, and, and in talking about that, since it's something that we should all know working on some of these goals with mm-hmm. our students, um, is this something that every teacher or every person who is in, in a profession should know? It is. Um, gestalt learning style, again, very valid learning style, just like semantic learning and sequential learning like we've talked about. Um, it's very valid, but I, a lot of families tell me that when they came to know the success approach was the first and only time they've ever even heard the term gestalt learning style. And actually many professionals have told us that as well. So um, I, I can't speak to that. All I know is, you know, how we operate here and, and how we um, cross-train and roll release to all of our professionals and aides here. Um, and it is part of our class, so we do teach it, and every parent and professional who takes the class has that advantage. Um, but I think that, you know, I think parents really should ask that question. You know, how are you familiar with gestalt learning style? This is my child's learning style. What's your experience with teaching to it? And I can speak from experience because um, this is a whole track is developed to gestalt with the system and you don't have to be in person. Uh-uh. We've got the amazing online training now that people can go uh-huh. to. If you go to our website, we'll put it in the show notes that you can uh, take the course in your time uh-huh. and yeah. really learn and develop. And, and you know, and anyone who is in education um, really should be taking the time to, to look at this online course for your own development, for your own lesson planning, for your own prowess mm-hmm. in working with these students who have diverse needs in learning. Mm-hmm. And I think parents shouldn't be intimidated by the theory part either. Um, in fact, I know, <laughs> I know parents and professionals who have taken it together on behalf of the same child, and oh my goodness, are those little teams really dynamic, little dynamos with new things coming out for the kid, new activities, new materials, everyone's on the same page and guess who's getting better faster right so it's just not rocket science to kind of collaborate and do what's best for the child um, but to do it across settings so the teacher can do it at school the the parents can do it at home grandparents are doing it on the weekend you know however whoever is involved with that child's life if you understand how schemas formed and how your child learns and some of these tips of the trade for autism at least to try to help schemas be more stretched or more generalized, um, these kids get better faster, and that's what it's all about. Absolutely. What are some of the other ways that you've seen or have practiced prepping children with uh, these schemas? One way that we try to help our kids to understand concepts um, like opposites is to not teach them at the same time. Um, it sounds kind of silly, like, well, how can you not teach them at the same time? If you're trying to show an opposite, you know, you have to kind of show what it isn't. Um, and I feel that that's confusing for kids with autism. They have to understand sort of one thing at a time, but then slowly get or quickly get experience with how to apply that many places. So there's a thing called generalization. Mm-hmm. And um, generalization happens naturally. It's when we apply knowledge out of the context where we first learned it, basically. Um, And I think one of the things that happens with our kids is they may, in one context, depending on what kind of intervention they're getting, um, they may look like they know something. And then as soon as they leave that environment, they can't apply it. Um, And that happens a lot with these kids, not at Integrations Treatment Center and certainly not with anybody using the success approach because the success approach takes care of that. Right. By teaching in generalization ways. So what that means is if we're going to talk about a trunk, we're going to help the child know the first time they hear trunk that there's different kinds of trunks. Oh, That's how you do it. You help them know up front that today when I say trunk, I'm thinking about an elephant. But sometimes we say trunk on the body. I'm going to twist my trunk, bend, 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 bend my trunk. Let's open the suitcase. Let's open that trunk. 
giving them lots of synonyms, so to speak, in context so that we have that expansion. Now, that is exhausting. <laughs> yeah, because you're trying to prep for every possible exactly, scenario. Exactly, Rich. That's the problem. And it's very, very intentional the way we do it in the success approach. It's built into the curriculum. It's built into our conversation. It's been built into the activities so the kids understand that proactively. Um, and parents, you know, who, who catch on to this are naturally good at it and will do that, you know, in the store when there's a can, a can of beans, a can of pop, a can of this, a can of that, so that they know that cans have different terms and different ideas, I should say, or what's in them is different. So the more you understand how a gestalt learner, which again, children with autism tend to be gestalt learners, they see the whole and not necessarily pay attention to the pieces, parts that make the whole, like the birthday theme, Mm -hmm. Um, the more you can help them understand holistically and then generalize what they know um, when things are a little different out of the original context. Wow, that's and that's that's impressive because and it, it is you're right it is exhausting mm. <laughs> at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, so what are some of the takeaways that we can layer on from episode three, uh, where you talked about sense making? Mm. Yes, yeah, sense making um, from episode three was about the Gestalt theory, how we make contact um, with ideas, and therefore we have sense making because we've experienced that item or that concept the way it was intended to be experienced. Um, But in this case, schema, by way of information processing theory, um, is more of a cognitive process of learning. And sense-making is tied to learning, so there is a parallel. I think the Gestalt theory helps us know more about readiness for learning Mm -hmm. and making contact, joining a child who's unready to make contact with a concept or a thing. Whereas information processing theory is more about helping the child to understand what something is and what something isn't. It's more cerebral than it is readiness and movement to making contact with life. More of a cognitive process. Exactly. Like Piaget has talked about it for forever, Mm -hmm. that it's very um, methodical, very linear. A one-year-old will know something very different than a three-year-old that will know something very different than a five-year-old. It's very linear. Um, And I want parents to remember that because just like you have to stand before you walk, you have to understand certain things like up and down (laughs) before you can be chosen on a soccer team. (laughs) It just doesn't work that way to have skills before readiness and developmental um, experience is there. And so we can do something about that through play. So let's just revisit quickly, and we have lots to talk about in our developmental theory coming down the road. Um, Right now, if people understand that play can be a great way to set schema, then that's a great takeaway. You can play with your child. So even if they are a gestalt learner, through play you can help them learn the concepts of up and down and left and right and um, all sorts of things that can come to life by using everyday fun things, vehicles and airplanes and trains and the train going up and the train going down and the train stopping. Like all these concepts that we just expect kids to know Mm -hmm. um, can really be brought to light through play, not necessarily worksheets and drills. Wow. So we've talked a lot about generalizations and relatability and, and the, the ability to process the two. Mm-hmm. Um, how, how does a student or a child with autism relate to perspective making or understanding mm. where someone else is coming from? Boy, that's a big, big struggle with our kids. Um, well, the idea of perspective taking involves what we call theory of mind. Um, and theory of mind is... Um, 
pretty well researched, and it's been in the literature a while. In fact, I can read something from my class that might be helpful to the audience from Premack and Woodruff. Theory of mind is the ability to attribute mental states, beliefs, intents, desires, pretending, knowledge, etc., to oneself and others, and to understand that others have beliefs, desires, and intentions that are different from one's own. That means that I have a brain. I know how I think and feel. You have a brain. You must think and feel too, and that's okay if it's different. That's a big struggle. Big struggle. And it's because they don't have theory of mind, Rich. They don't know that someone else's brain is in charge of the way that person thinks. All they know is their perspective. Their schema for life is their schema for life. They don't know that other people have other schemas and other ideas, which makes it very difficult to do things like have a conversation. Because if they want to talk about license plates or state capitals, and the person they're talking to is bored to tears, that doesn't allow for very good engagement with those two human beings. And so it becomes almost a social problem because no one wants to talk to the kid who only wants to talk about license plates. And think about the struggle that if someone who's not on the spectrum, and we, we struggle with that as a society today in general. Oh my gosh, With the sure. onset of everything. And then someone mm. who's trying to process all of that right. on top of it. Right. And so theory of mind is an important thing to not take for granted. And so what we can do, because we're oftentimes afraid of hurting someone's feelings, especially for a child with autism, one of the best things we can do is help them know that their idea is different from your idea. And it doesn't have to be mean. We do this every day in the success approach. It's very simple. I can even give you an example. If a child is working on coloring for one of their IEP goals, um, and we're introducing the crayons and the material to color, and we ask them to color, and the purple crayon reminds them of Barney or something, and they start talking about Barney, and then start talking about BJ, his little sidekick. Um, we might very simply say, if this conversation starts to kind of spiral and the child's talking more and more about something that's not present, we might say something as simple as, you're thinking about Barney, I'm thinking about coloring. Let's try coloring. Just validate what they're thinking about mm -hmm. and help them know what you're thinking about to try to get them back in contact with, this is where the gestalt cycle of experience right. ties with information processing, bring them back to the here and now, present-centered focus, through the validation technique of you're thinking about this, but I'm thinking about that, and the that is right here. Here's your purple crayon and your paper, let's color. And if they don't, you can start to color for them, with them, and they'll join you. That's more gestalt than it is information processing. But that child got off track because information processing was at play, and that gestalt learning style or that schema, that association for purple, triggered an, a distant recollection, you might say, or an old memory that we can't see Barney right there, but we should, can sure see purple. And there's nothing wrong with associations unless they stop you from doing what you're supposed to do. Right. And I think the beauty of that is the acknowledgement part. Yes. It's not so much that you've identified that they're not on task right. or that they're having a behavior issue, but you've acknowledged uh, what's causing them to be stuck right. to draw them back in. Right. Well, there's actually some technologies that people make use of in autism where that's actually stop. No. 
finished. No, they're, they're actually shut down a little bit there yeah. instead of being joined. You know, like I just said, there's nothing wrong with associations. I have them all day long, mm -hmm. but they don't derail me. Um, or if I do, I'll say, like, you know, Rich, I can't, I, I, I got to tell you this before I can go on. I got to tell you this joke I heard and then I'll out with it. You'll validate it. We'll laugh. And then we'll get back to task. Like I can do that sophisticated mental work, tell you I'm going to take a soft task, bring you on my journey of that humorous joke and then come back to task. These kids can't do that because the purple crayon is all they need. And proof of that, if I ever release the outtakes of the podcast, I mean, we're, we're, we're laughing all the time. <laughs> for sure, but that's not for everyone to hear. That's right. just for our enjoyment. <laughs> but these kids that are, you know, distracted by their internal thoughts and having schemas and associations, they're legit, real, true learners. They really are, but they learn differently. And so every special ed teacher at least dealing with autism, really should specialize in Gestalt learning style mm -hmm. and in Gestalt teaching because that's where these kids really need that individualized plan for lessons. And if they don't get it, it's it's really a very um, limited way that they can progress in their academic areas. Well, and, and you're right because the whole idea of the individual education plan is to differentiate it for those students who need to learn differently. And that's not necessarily what's happening because we take those IEP goals and then we tend to try to pull them in where we can to our general lessons for mm -hmm. the class. And I think that's where we fall a little short in the mm -hmm. profession of education, trying to assimilate everyone into one classroom. I would agree. Wow, there was a lot to, to process with information processing. <laughs> and that is so the tip of the iceberg. <laughs> right. Well, hang in, guys. We're going to um, listen to Dr. Lynette's challenge for you this week. So the challenge for today, I would like our listeners to try their best to understand how your child learns and processes information and try to answer the question, what kind of learner are they? Are they a sequential learner? Are they a gestalt learner? And try to teach to that learning style and ask others to do the same. So as we begin to close out this episode on information processing, I just want to remind our listeners that the biggest tip I can offer is to be intentional in helping your child process what may be coming as much as possible. It's a lot of extra work, um, but even my wife and I are having a lot of conversations as of late, um, nightly, about how we're preparing our oldest for the next steps and how to address college readiness as part of that as well. Um, and just adding that to the list of preparations of things to do. But that intentionality is key to help make connections for your child with autism. So Lynette, what are some of the other key takeaways from today's episode? Well, I think first and foremost, we all want to respect the fact that people learn differently. They have different ways of coming to the same kind of knowledge, and that's okay. Um, we should also remember that schemas are natural and normal, how they form through experiences, and that both good and bad experiences can result in schema development. So be careful about what we're introducing the kids to. It's just as easy to learn the wrong thing as it is to learn the right thing, especially for kids with autism. Another important thing for children on the spectrum is to help them know what is salient about a topic or an, um, an event. Um, if they can't make sense of something as it is, help them know what is salient about it, like the birthday party idea. Make sure they go away knowing that a birthday party is really about a couple things. A kid is getting a year older, a birthday cake, and probably a song. That's about what birthday parties are all about. So they come away with the right information. And then help your child 
to take perspective by letting them know that you have ideas too, and it's okay if your ideas are different from theirs. We hope that you learned something today to help you on your journey with autism. We'll share more on our next Connect with Success podcast. Until then, expect success. The Success Approach is a registered service mark protected under intellectual property law. Unless otherwise specified, all music, audiovisual, and proprietary content shared in this podcast is property of Autism Productions, LLC, and its sister agency, Integrations Treatment Center. The use of this content is unlawful without the expressed written consent of aforementioned agency. For more information about The Success Approach, please go to our website at www.thesuccessapproach.org.